Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. So glad you could join me. This is a, this is a special show because I have I have one of my favorite authors on with me, and I've read all of her books, which which makes interviewing her yet again um, just such a such a gift to me. It's it's unbelievable. Um, I have Dina Miriam with me, and uh, the the book that we're going to be talking about, though we're going to pull the others in as well, is to dance with the keenest in search of self. Um, and it's it's an amazing, amazing book. And as with all of her books, To Dance with Dakinas is a study of the universal law of cause and effect, how events in our life, our deeds, thoughts, and reactions, impel the process of rebirth. The story begins in the 12th century Tibet with a woman's search for the goddess and the deeper truths of life. A crisis that she encounters leads her to a great master who helps awaken memories of her previous life in medieval France and a much earlier life in China, during which events were set in motion that led to her led her to the crisis that she now faces. The book follows her through death, the time between earthly rebirth and then her rebirth in India, where she brings to conclusion unfinished matters from her life in Tibet. In the process of her journey, great teachings are conveyed uh, readings that can, teachings that can apply to everybody and, and in, t- in our lives today as well. Um, I find that this book, all of her books have been inspirational for me, but this book especially, I found myself writing things down on the side um, that were relevant to me, that, that, that kind of triggered something inside of me. And this book absolutely touched so many special places inside of me that, that woke up parts of me that I didn't know had been asleep, actually. <laughs> uh, 
Um, a little bit about Dina. She began, began working in the interfaith, move, interfaith movement in the late 90s and served as vice chair in the Millennium World Peace Summit of Religious and Spiritual Leaders held at the United Nations in New York in, in 2000. She subsequently convened a meeting of women religious and spiritual leaders at the Palace de, uh, de, oh, it's in French, Palace de Nations in Geneva, and from that gathering founded the Global Peace Interact, in, 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 <laughs> Initiative of Women, GPIW, in 2022. In, 20, in 2002, sorry, in 2008, she was one of the founding members of the Contemplative Alliance, which later became a program of GPIW. For over 40 years, she has been a student of Yogananda and a practitioner of, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Kriya Yoga Meditation. She received her master's degree from Columbia University and has served on numerous boards and is currently the chair of the International Advisory Council of the Auroraville, Auroraville Foundation in India. She has dedicated her life to discovery and in that discovery has put, put material out there so that not just women but all people can understand the spiritual journey that all of us have and are going through. And it gives you greater insight into why things happen, how things happen, and it, it gives you a deeper understanding of the spiritual journey all of us are on, whether or not we recognize it. So, welcome to the show, Dina. Barbara, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Even though I massacred a couple of the words. Um, <laughs> well, you got many of them I right. Think, Kriya Yoga, that's correct. That, that's my practice. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, there were very few ways it could go, actually. But yeah. I think, I, I think the the only stumbling block I have to to any of your books are the names and and how they twist your tongue trying to. I finally just realized I recognize the name and what it belongs to, and I just move on because trying to pronounce <laughs> the names as I'm as I'm cruising through all of this, and, and I'm sure that somebody from India will look at our stuff and say it's just as difficult, but the stories you tell are just so profound. I think the one thing that, that, that this book, as well as the others, makes me stop and, and look at is my life. The fact that, that I have traveled through time, as have all of your main characters, and and so that I look at some of the situations that I've come across and then it stops me and says, okay, why is this happening? What is this about this person that I don't like or that I just think is super? And and try to understand and dig deep to find, is there something from the past I need to resolve here? And, you know, there's a reason for this happening in my life. It's a lesson for me. Instead of bitching about it, let me just see what my resistance is, why I have that resistance, and is this something I can change, alter, or make better? You know, m many people have written to me after reading the book uh, to say that it, it awakened things about their own life and made them look differently at certain people or certain events in their own life. And, of course, that's my goal. It's like I share my story 
in the hope that it will trigger something in the reader. You know, uh, uh, my story is no di- really not that much different. We all have similar stories, you know, in our long journey. We've all encountered so many things. We've had happy times and sad times, and we've had wealth and poverty. We've experienced so many things. And I think it's important to realize that we have experienced the whole gamut of, of human experience, really. And um, the hope is that, that, that the books will trigger something that it will, it, will, it will help you look at your own life differently. Uh, because our goal is to, is to really finish unfinished business and to be able to move on, move on to what we need to do, you know, what, what we've come into this life to do. It takes a while to know that. It takes many years. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I think, you know, but, but you know, you, there are lessons as, as to... There are all sorts of wonderful lessons. I, I can't remember which book it is, but in one of the books, um, your main character was angry at a man who had, you know, decided to be celibate, and, you know, he, she just couldn't pry him away from it. And so as she's being sent off down the river, literally, she curses him for a 1,000 years or 10,000 years. I forget which it was. And all I could think of is, what are you thinking you know, and, exactly. And sort of like... That's in when the bright moon rises. It begins very many, many uh, millennia ago in India, when she falls in love with a man who had already taken the vow of celibacy, and she can't pry him away, and she curses him that she won't see him again, and she doesn't see him again for ten thousand years. And so, so you know, so now I'm very careful when I, you know. Say something in anger. I watch what I say because it, 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 when it's out of your mind, it is cemented in time. Out exactly. of your mouth, it's cemented in time. And, and, and so it's, you know, and, and I wonder, I look back at, at the people I've been involved with in my life and, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations that come with those relationships has, has to have come from the past in some way. Or form, and Absolutely. so it, it's been. Yeah, it it has been a journey for me. One of the phrases that you wrote that that you know, if I did needlepoint still, it would be on my wall. Is that love is not an emotion; it is a a life form. In other words, it isn't an a emotion. State of being. It, it's a state of being, and state of being. What. Yeah. What that drew me back to was a long time ago I did a, a whole series of, of um, near-death experiences and one of the teenagers that had tried to commit suicide a number of times was trying to tell me what it felt like when she was out of body, in, in spirit, flying towards the light. And she said, you don't understand. It's not like you're surrounded by love, embraced by love, pulled by love, drawn by love. That feeling when you go into spirit, you are love, right? And and you know yeah. it it made you know it made me stop and think about when I say I love someone, what does that really mean? And and the word itself does not have the depth that it should have because it's not a word and it's not an emotion; it's a state of being. And my goodness. You know, it just, it changed everything. Everything, you know, came into a deeper view. So your your books have... Well, it's funny have... that you mentioned that, because if you had to ask me 
the essence of all all of my books, which which follow as you know the books follow a soul on a soul's journey to greater and greater awareness. Um, you know, we learn as we go, and hopefully each life we're a little bit more awake. But the goal is to become pure love. And my uh-huh. next book, which I'm just working on now, which is called Memories of a Future Life, the subtitle is Becoming Love. So, and, and, and that, you know, it's like, you know, the teachings that come to me through the book are teachings for me as well. You know, I, uh-huh. something comes through me, and, and it's like that's my teaching for that day. And after writing this book, I began such a long reflection on what is human love. We talk about it. We, 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 we sing about it. We write films about it, but is that really love? I mean, you know, how we how we fall out of love so quickly. Uh-huh. You know, somebody goes through a dark time or we, they do something we don't like, well, we don't love them anymore. Yeah, and, you know, it's not meant to be a weapon at all. And so, it's not an emotion, it, you know. It's not It's not just a high or I feel good. I mean, there's, there's that, there is degrees of love i mean there is that emotion of oh i just you know i'm excited by this person this person attracts me it's it's part of an attraction right uh-huh. but what we call i think after you you've had a number of experiences you realize that you want something greater something permanent you oh, want yeah, to be in that state of love which is not dependent on anything external Exactly, and an object. It's not like I love an object, you know. No. Well, and, you know, when you get down to it, if you're talking about that element of love, you can feel that element of love for someone, and it doesn't doesn't require a return. It's unconditional. It's unconditional. Yeah. And it doesn't require a return. It's not, this is not a bartering thing. You know, I love you if you love no. me back. <laughs> well, it's just, but, and, you know, a, you know it, a, lot of, a lot of human love is like that. Yeah, unfortunately. You know? And, uh, you know, there were a couple of other things that just really hit me smack between the eyes. One of them was the question made to her a number of times that she struggled with, and I don't know that she ever even found the answer, was, who are you? Yes. And yeah. And and that's something that that it, it 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 was amazing because it's something that I have been struggling with probably for the last month. You know, who who am I? I'm I'm not a name, but who am I? My essence. Why is it here? What is my purpose? You know, why am I here? And you know, that that's something that I think a lot of people go through trying to figure out who they really are. You know, I see, I see this. There are certain lifetimes that are pivotal in one's journey, and there's some lifetimes where you, you don't make a lot of progress. You just, you know, you go through the motions of life, get married, have a family, die. But there's some yeah. lifetimes where, where, you, where there are really pivotal things happen to you that sort of catapult you into a new stage. And in this book, uh, um, it was a pivotal lifetime where, for the first time, she she's faced with that question of who are you, and she doesn't yeah. know the answer. She doesn't find the answer in that lifetime. 
Well, I have your next book after the after the next book. I mean, <laughs> after the next. It was really funny because I was after you said what what you were going to you know it was the future. I said then the book after that has to be visitation to different dimensions. Well, that's another that's another book that I have um, in my mind to write about is what really takes place in these other dimensions. We spend quite a bit of time there, more time there than here. And so we know a fair amount, but it's sort of asleep in our consciousness because in order to function here, we put other parts of ourselves to sleep until we can handle the awareness of it all. I mean, there are masters mm-hmm. who, who can handle the awareness of, of, of it all. And, and you know, I've, I've, come to, I've come to accept that, as we are functioning here in our current embodied form, we are also, at the same time, there. Yeah. It's just we're not fully conscious of our whole being. We're, we're, we put that part of us out of our conscious mind so that we can sort of focus on the here and now. But as you well, grow spiritually, was... you, want to be, you want to focus on the all, not just the here and now. Exactly. In in one of the books, and I don't remember which one, but I think it was the one where the, the you you gave us the how the how the gods sort of took form, and and it was where yeah. her husband was traveling in other realms, not 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 physical but spiritual realms, so that they allude to the fact that that he was in other dimensions. I think. In yes. which she was also a god. So yes, it was. Yeah, I mean, I. It's 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 amazing, the, the teachings that the books bring out, that you know are right there, smack in your face, you know, and pay attention. This is this is a, there's something important here, and um, I think the law of cause and effect certainly is there for sure in in all manner, shape, and form. And yeah, it, and and like in every other book you've written, I kept, I, I always was sad when that particular incarnation ended because I was so in, integrated into the the family and the people in the family and what was going on and and you know you you in 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 one place you alluded to the fact that the man in Kashmir that the, the wanted to marry yeah. her said he would he would marry her eventually and you know i i what he was brought back just very briefly so i don't know if that relationship will be carried forward in another book or whatever so i kind well, of I mean, you know people, i thought <laughs> people keep reappearing and you know mm-hmm. when i wrote um when the bright moon rises which you alluded to takes place and begins in ancient india she curses that man after seeing him for 10,000 years. <laughs> then they're both reborn 10,000 years later in China, and they actually get married. But it's not, it's not an easy marriage, but, it, but, it's a, but there's a deep, there is a love there. But in, in um, that life, in that book, uh, there was a character. It was from a previous birth, her grandfather. And the word for grandfather okay. in Chinese is yeye. So she called him yeye, right? So uh-huh. many people, after they read that book, uh, wrote to me and said that they were very taken with that character, yeye. What happened to him? 
Is he going to just disappear? (laughs) Well, he comes back in this book to dance with bikinis. To my surprise, I mean, I never plan anything. It's like whatever, whatever I see and hear, that's what I write. But he does come yeah. back, and he and he he helps her through a difficult time, and uh, and gives her much more information about what their what their initial relationship with he had been before he had been her fa- her grandfather he had been uh, something else to her. I won't give away the story, but um, that is the truth. Is that is that uh, people that we're close to now, it's not the first encounter. We can be sure of that. People oh, that yeah. we have a, a deep relationship with, we can be sure it's not the first encounter. Well, you, you used a word here that many will not be familiar with. What is a dakini? A dakini, okay. Um, <clears throat> so it, it, it's... it's uh, it, known in the Buddhist world and the yogic world, the Dakini is a is a uh, a, a woman spiritual form. So a, a woman who's uh, uh, you could call a woman yogi who's in physical form a Dakini, but most often it's a, a celestial woman, a woman who uh-huh. lives in another dimension. You know, and it's interesting because what we once called, and I still call the celestial world, or really just, it's another dimension, another dimension of reality, a subtler world, a world of light, a, a higher vibration. And the Dakinis are female forms from those worlds who can uh, appear on earth for a specific purpose. They can even take a birth. You know, in the, um, in the Indian uh, world view of history, the Eastern world view of history, Things don't move in a linear way. They live in, move in cycles. I think we even have that in the Western, you know, the, the Garden of Eden. We have the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age. Well, the Golden the Yuga, Age. Yeah. Called, yeah, it's called the Satya Yuga, the, the Age of Truth. And many higher dimensional beings took birth at that time because it was in honor, because it, it was a more harmonious and more, um, more conscious uh, uh, state of awareness for humanity. So what we call advancement, you know, big cities and weapons and all that, it, it, it doesn't really relate to spiritual advancement. In the Satya Yuga, it could have been, what, 10,000 years ago. There may not have been big cities and weapons, but a higher consciousness where you can commune telepathically and where you can commune with the animals and the plants, where you, there was much more sense of uh, being part of the whole oneness, and so it was a more peaceful time on Earth, and higher dimensional beings would have appeared here to experience physical birth. So, <clears throat> so <clears throat> most of the time, female form. Um, yeah, the female form. I, so I, I know. Come either, either to help, to, to provide a service, or just to experience physical life. Well, I know the one in the red hat. Oh, the one in the um, red hat, Dalia. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, so she was. She's, she's still a mystery. Who was she? She's still a mystery. I mean, you know, according to the conclusion, they saw her as sort of like a, an emanation of the of the moon deity, and you know, this is a question that continues to uh, perplex me. Uh, who are the deities of the moon and the sun? I mean, these are physical bodies that we see, but are there consciousnesses behind them in another realm that sort of oversee their function? 
I haven't come to the answer. There are a lot of things that are still unanswered in my mind, which is why I keep well, writing. Was, at, at one time, she was towards the end of her life. Um, she came across a, a, a man who was familiar but not, a, you know, really somebody who was way down on his luck, and he had no, he asked for water, she gave him water, and then she gave him food because there was something about him, and then she she gave the gold coin that had been, that she kept as a memory of <clears throat> the The, the Kashmiri friend, she, yeah. Yeah. And, and then the gold coin turned up back in her clothing. So who or what was that man? So... This is at the end of the book. Uh, so the Tibetan woman mm-hmm. is reborn uh, as a very, very poor woman. She had been sort of a middle-class, upper-middle-class woman in Tibet. Uh, she's, but she, at the end, she has a dream where she, it, 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 where this, this uh, cult leader, he's a cult leader, had taken all of her wealth, and she even gives him the wealth that's due to her in her next life. So she's born into a poor family, but a deeply spiritual family. And um, at the end of her life, She's, she's, it's a time when there's great destruction. So I put everything in historical context. A lot of destruction, invaders were coming from the north. Many temples were being destroyed. And then a temple that's destroyed that had been very important to her father, who was a poor street sweeper. A father who was a poor street sweeper, but completely devoted to Lord Shiva, an emanation of the cosmic power. And, and um, he, he was so unified with, that cosmic power that he didn't even recognize his own separation, separate existence. And, but he, he had never been to see a, te- a big, one of these uh, temples because he never left the village. But he'd always wanted to go to this temple, and then, then the invaders destroy that temple. And she, who's not as evolved as her parents, is filled with anger uh-huh. you know, at these invaders and, and resolves that she's going to do something about it. And she prays, let her, let, let her be born in a place where she could do something about it. And then, and then uh, she's going down to the well to get water, and this crazy-looking man who's a sadhu, you know, who's like a wandering ascetic, comes and asks her for a drink of water, and she gives it to him. And then she feels pity on him, and she's got this gold coin she's carrying around uh, who'd been left to her from her Kashmiri friend. And she gives it to him and says, you need it more than me. And then <laughs> the guy call, addresses her as queen, Ronnie. He addresses her as queen, and she laughs thinks he's crazy and says, you're mistaken. I'm just a poor village lady who lives over there. I'm no queen. He insists on calling her Rani, and he said, you're going to need me in the future, and I'll come help you. And she just sort of shakes her head and goes back to her place, and, and she's got memory. And then she discovers that she's undressing. The coin falls out of, out of her skirt, and she's sure that she had given it to him, but her memory's fading. She says, well, maybe, maybe I didn't really give it to him. I thought I did, and She's concerned because she's, her memory is fading. Uh, she's old now. And then she dies. Well, if you have to read my first book, My Journey Through Time, she's reborn, the, the, the oldest daughter of a, uh, of a, of a, Raja, a, a, a king yeah. in Rajasthan. And she's married off to the son of the, uh, the sheikh. And uh, in that life, when the temples are being destroyed, she does her best to preserve the temples. So here you have the story of a poor village woman whose next birth is as a queen, a princess who becomes a queen. 
Ah, gotcha. Yeah. And it was her faith and her commitment to preserve uh, uh, the culture that she so loved. Uh, And, you know, material wealth meant nothing to her parents. She grew up not caring about material wealth. It was their spiritual wealth that she, that was, that was the story of her, of her life, of her parents. One was completely devoted to Krishna and the other was completely devoted to Shiva, two different, very different emanations of the cosmic power. And so she learned to, you know, to bridge the differences, you know, it doesn't matter whether you call Krishna or call Shiva. Um, and, and the beauty is that from that poverty, she's born into wealth. Into, into, into a position where she can at least attempt to do something to stop the destruction of temples. Mm-hmm. I think That's the, where the, the books all weave together. <clears throat> oh, you know, it's, it's, it's such an adventure. It really is. And um, I think the other thing that, that, that you awakened within me that, that, that I had not been aware of, I, I obviously have not studied my history appropriately, I mean, I was aware that the, you know, the uh, library at Alexandria was destroyed, and you know, and and all of the stuff that goes along with it, you know, uh, papyruses and tablets from thousands of years ago were destroyed, and you know, the, we've we've lost history because of the destruction there. I was unaware of the destruction that went on in in Tibet and China of all of those temples, those libraries that probably had even more material in them than the library at Alexandria did. The library at Nalanda was the most famous. It was a, it was a learning institution. It was in India. And uh, uh, people came, uh, monks came from all over the world to study there. They had like, I don't know, 10 million books or something. And uh, it was destroyed it was destroyed several times by the invaders. Finally, in uh, well, it was 1195 or around then, it was it was burnt, burnt to the ground. The library burnt for days, and there were five major learning institutions in India at that time. From about the Nalanda was created around three or four hundred, uh, so you know they they had been around for you know 800 years. All five of them were destroyed by the invaders. The invaders created a lot of – they wanted to remake the area, you know, the whole region uh, in their image, so they destroyed tens of thousands of temples and learning institutions. Uh, it was, a, it was a, great, uh, a great loss. We don't study that history. I think now students get a more global history in, in, in their education. But I know when I was going to school, we studied Western history. Yeah. Yeah, we well, got as yeah, far back as Greece. That was it. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Well, I and, and I think that you know what's going what what Tibet has preserved um, is is so much of the 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 so much of the history and so much of the the element of the spiritual side. You know, forget religion; it's the spiritual aspect within. And I think one of the other things that that you brought forward so beautifully was that, um, and illustrated it, was was that um, no matter what the name you give to the divine, it's all the same source of creation. So that so exactly. that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the name. What matters is the 
relationship to to the divine source that is that is what yes. you're you're looking at and there's no right one and there's no wrong one it's all just another face and you know, you know yeah uh, much of my journey through through all these stories has been to understand that you know because because we we lived you know in in past centuries in a very polarized world people lived in their own communities without knowing anything about the other and then you know now we live in a in a in a global community but there's still a lot of ignorance about the other and i think one of the uh um steps steps forward for humanity is to realize just what you said it's different names for the divine source one divine source there are not 10 divine sources there's one <laughs> And, you know, different yeah. people have different ways of, of talking about it and expressing it. And that's diversity. That's beautiful. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I my son um, became um, a fundamental Christian, and and he, you know, he was always amazed when I went to church with him. He said, you know the hymns. And I said, of course I know the hymns. They're the same yeah. hymns everywhere. I mean, it, yeah. it's it's uh it's kind of like there it's 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 all the it, it's all focused in the same direction hopefully and and so it doesn't matter where you worship or meditate it's it's a matter of doing it and um exactly yeah. I, I, I just i just don't think people and being, understand and being respectful of people who do it differently oh yeah I mean, it's how yeah. they it's how they honor that that essence, and I think that that your book brings this out so beautifully in one place where the two gods switch switch forms and faces, so that so that you know you just they're the same, different faces. Yes, but the same. I mean, it, the same in I, India at that time because you know everybody was Hindu. I mean, the, the invaders uh-huh. were Muslim, but they, you know. Yet, yet there were two basic. It's like the Protestants and the Catholics. There were two basic, basic uh, uh, sort of lineages. One that that worships Shiva, which is a certain emanation uh, with a certain characteristics, and one that worships Vishnu, which Krishna being the, the main uh, uh, form. And and they, there was a certain competition of <laughs> who's the true one, which is ridiculous because you're talking about you know different manifestations of the same cosmic source. And so that was the lesson in that life. But the character, she gets it. She gets it. Well, you, you even bring in Jesus in there at, at some point too, as a as as, as a teacher, a, a source of, of um, well, information. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting because um, when I was writing this book, and I think I talk about it even at the introduction, I, I've had I was not born Christian, but, and I've had an issue with Christianity. Uh, uh, which I couldn't really explain. I think it was, I have an issue with any religion that claims to be the only the only truth. That mm-hmm. just rubs me the wrong way. And so I had an issue, uh, not with Jesus, but with Christianity. But when I was writing this book, and it was on Christmas Eve, that whole scene came to me. Uh, and And I realized what was my resistance to Christianity came from that life in medieval France where I witnessed the burning of a woman that, that so um, seared into my memory 
that it it really it, it's taken me this long to be able to make peace with it. And that and then but I did make peace with it in the writing of this book. In the writing of this book I had that that vision of Jesus and and I saw him in a totally different different light. And I saw him within within the framework which was my framework, which is much more of a Hindu framework of of him being a manifestation of that same energy that I call Shiva. That same manifestation, you can call that manifestation Jesus. And so it just healed that wound in me. And and it was it was one of the gifts of this book actually. There were many gifts that came from the writing of the book. But one of it was to heal that resistance that had stayed with me since that time. Well, I, the church I, has yeah, done a lot of damage. You know, the church has done a lot of damage, unfortunately. You know, many of the institutional yeah. religions have done damage. And, you know, the message that was brought forth from whatever master teacher or master or God that you want to talk to, if you go back to the source, it's all the same mess. It's all the same message. It really is. Exactly. It's, it's all the same. There's only one message. <laughs> one message yeah. and one cosmic source, cosmic divine source, that takes many forms and speaks many languages. You know, and, well, and that, they're yeah. all beautiful metaphors. But, 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 the, but the institutions that grow up around them have uh, have become rigid, and you know, in the in the in the, in the, they become sort of like fossils, and then the essence gets covered up. You know, and then you get all the divisions, and this is the only truth, etc. Well, this the way problem is, the, is the, the main problem is that that the the message is so simple, it's love. And you know, it, it it's not complicated. It doesn't take um, it doesn't take you know hundreds of pages of a book to explain it. It's love, and right. and no matter who speaks it or who preaches it or wherever they are, that's their link to the divine, and that means that that the simple truth is the one that. Nobody chooses to follow. They 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 sometimes choose to make it complicated. And well, you're right. I mean, love is the essence of it all, and it's the it's the foundational principle. I mean, everything was created out of that force of love, and held together by that force of love. Without love, it would all dissipate. And so, love is sort of the glue that keeps creation together and keeps it evolving and and will eventually draw us back to the to the beloved to the cosmic source. So you're right. In one word, it's, <laughs> everything boils down to love. Yeah, that's that's all you need to do and be. That's what you need to be. And that's that's where where so many people get confused. It's not preach it. It's not talk it. It's be it. Exactly. And it's not a matter of words. It's a matter of being it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 so it's 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 kind of like um, what did I see someplace just lately that there are hundreds of different languages in the world, but a smile will break through all of them, and that's the element of love. It's you know, there's there you make a connection through a smile, and then then you're able to communicate in one way or another. But yeah, um, it's true. 
this this book is actually so inspirational. Um, and I don't I don't know if it's because I built it on the other books, or or if because um, I know your first book dealt with past lives that were you know more current as far as past lives go. Yeah, it, it sort of went back to the previous one, then previous to that, previous to that, going back five or six, seven lives sequentially. So you, uh-huh. you get to see the, the themes that emerge. Uh, I mean, if we could all see our past, everything about our life would make total sense. The work that we do, the relationships we have, um, you know, what our, our, our thoughts are, beha- it would all make perfect sense because we would see the patterns that develop. And um, once you see that, then you, you have to ask yourself the question, you have to pose this to yourself, if my past created my present, then my present is creating the future. I am creating my future. So uh-huh. which, what future do I want to create for myself? <laughs> you know, I think most people are so, well, I think most people don't realize that the spirit that they carry within is immortal and is going to be here forever and ever and ever and ever. And they they look at only this particular lifetime, not the fact that they've come through time and they're going through time. So that, you know, a lot of people would say, I'm I'm too worried about what's going on in the here and now. I can't bother with the next lifetime because, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to be there. But you are, and well, yeah, exactly, you are. <laughs> Um, you might not remember, but that's why I sort of smile to myself when people say, you know, we have to preserve this earth for our grandchildren. Yes, that's true, but for you as well, because we're coming back. We're going to be stuck with the mess that we make. Well, yeah, and, and leave, so many people. Yeah. I can't, I can't tell you the number of people that I talk to that say, I'm not coming back, and it's like, well, your personality <laughs> well, may not come back, but your spirit is definitely going to come back. <clears throat> so what? Well, what I is? Mean, you know that you know, I, I is, laugh when people say that because I mean, you know, first of all, they're they're karmic. I mean, the goal is to come not because of karmic compulsion, but to serve. The goal is to come back to serve to serve life, to help uplift mm-hmm. life. We, how can we? Be happy if so many people are left here suffering, right? So there is that yeah. quality of wanting to serve. But also there's unfinished karma that you might just not be aware of. And so the pe- people say they're not coming back. Well, you know, <laughs> that's an easy way out. <laughs> they're trying to get yeah. out of it. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I have occasionally said I'm done with paying my past life um, debts. I, I want to kind of have a free ride for the rest of this life and I'll slide them all over to the next life because I won't know, I won't really know where they came from. So but, <laughs> right. but but you can't do that. It's probably it's against the rules, I guess. Well but I it, think it, it I is think, you know, I think that, that um the more conscious one is, the more mindful, right? Of, yeah. and, and, and the more you live mindfully and consciously, the more you're able to really sort of guide your spirit, you know, going forward into the best possible scenario. 
you know, where you can fulfill what you need to fulfill, where you can be of service, where you cannot create more messes for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I have on I mean, occasion, you know, on, on occasion I have found that, you know, I've been on this journey for a long time, and and I have found there have been times where I have stopped myself from doing something for a moment and then saying, all right, I'm going to have to go an extra life for this one, but it's too juicy. i got to do it. And have probably gotten myself another couple of rounds just because <laughs> I couldn't stop. I just had to do it. So, um, I mean, not robbing a bank that. or anything. There was a reason for that, you know. It's, some, it, it's yeah. a latent desire, and... Sometimes it's better just to fulfill it if it's not harmful, if it's not harming anybody. You know, well, uh, but, but you know, I mean, it, and then it, there are many ways to, there's no, there's no one rule about how you, how you work off your debts. There are many ways to do it. That's, that's a good point. Um, you know, if you, if you do, um, you know, rack up debt. Um, how you you don't have any before you come into the lifetime. Are you able to say, all right, I want to address this and this and this issue, or do you just live out what comes to you and hopefully because you're wiped clean theoretically when you come into this lifetime. So how do you how do you well, no. it's not really clean because you bring your whole past with you. The higher self, yeah. the higher self guides you to work out certain certain karmas in that life when the conditions are right. I mean, many lifetimes could go by before you work out something. The conditions have to be right where you can. I mean, the whole point of karma is not a reward and punishment. That's such a, um, a, 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 a childish way of looking at it. Really, you know, it's just like the whole concept of a punishing God you know, is, is, is to my, my mind so childish. It's like the father who, who yields the stick. The whole point of uh-huh. karma is the universe seeking to balance itself. Thought, action, it's energy. You're putting energy out. And so whatever energy you put out that has a negative impact, you want to balance that. So the point of karma is to be a way, to, it's a learning. It's a process of learning. So if you're, you knock your head against the wall, it hurts. You might forget. And a few months later, you're going to knock your head against the wall again. But at a certain point, you're going to say, hey, this hurts. I'm going to stop doing this. And it's the same thing with behavior. You behave in a certain way, and you suffer. And then you do it again, and you suffer. At a certain point, you say, "How do I, I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> you know, And it may take a few lifetimes. And there's an example of this in the book where, where uh, when the character in her life in medieval France she knows how to work with the herbs, and she helps women abort abort their 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 um their fetuses, unmarried women or women who get into trouble. She gives them the medicine, but she's tormented by this, and so she accepts responsibility and says, "I will make it up to these souls." And she does. In her next life, she gives birth. Those souls come to her, and she gives birth to them. And so it's mm-hmm. a way that she's compensated those souls um and then there's another story of her friend basundra 
who gets pregnant and when she's young, very naive, believes a man, he loves her, but he's already married, she didn't know that, gets pregnant and he disappears. And she's also an herbalist and knows which herbs to take. And so she aborts the child. And her teacher comes back, Dalha, and does, doesn't say anything to her, doesn't represent her, doesn't uh, repri- reprimand her, doesn't say anything. But some months later, she says, go deliver that baby at the neighbor. There's a baby that needs to be delivered, and she's never delivered a baby. And she says, I don't know how to do it. Go do it. And she delivers that baby. And that was the soul that had entered her that she had aborted. But that soul would have a much better life in that family, which was an intact family with a father. And so... Hello? You know, so 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 I say there are many ways to pay off a debt, and mm-hmm. um, you know this whole this whole um, discussion of abortion in this country doesn't take into the fact that that's not the beginning of a life. A soul tries to enter a body, and if it can't enter that body, it will find another body to enter. The soul will come in, if not through one means, then another. And so uh-huh. it's 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 uh, it's a much different way of looking at things. And so when I wrote that, I realized that 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 had implications for the times in which we live. People are so heated about this subject, you know. Um, oh yeah. But there's so many different way different ways to look at it. Well, it does make make everything take on a different deeper meaning when you realize that you're you're coming in touch with people that you've been in touch with before you just don't know what the relationship was and um you know it it's it's you get to the point where when you get some sort of visual reaction from from someone you've met and you don't know why it it there are times when you actually can sit down oh, and no, meditate on it if we could see the whole picture, um, you know, we we know that we encounter different ways, children from past lives, partners from past lives. And sometimes it's a brief encounter, you know, where for a few months or years or you're, you're with that person and then everybody moves on. That little bit of karma's been finished. There was nothing uh-huh. more to be learned from that, that, and so everybody moves on. And so I think I think that the lesson for me is to is to move through life more mindfully. Well doesn't you know, it be, doesn't it doesn't it change the way you actually do live your life? Because in your first book, um there's something about a ballet dancer. Um Yes. <laughs> and and was it brought forward in time to this lifetime, or was it? Yeah, I remember you, you so write, either writing past, or talking. My, my past birth was in Russia, and I was uh-huh. I, 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 I was I wanted to be a ballet dancer. I studied ballet. Uh, my father was very opposed to it, and at a certain point, when I was thirteen, fourteen, I had to stop ballet, which was a terrible heartache for me. And then the Russian Revolution came, and I was sent out of the country, and never didn't see my parents again, and and that was that. But in this, in my current birth as a child, 
I was uh, I was fanatic about ballet. I used to dream of dancing. I went to ballet school. Uh, uh, even now, ba- you know, when the ballet comes to town, I go to as many ballets as I can. I still have that aspiring dancer within me, but uh-huh. it's 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 not something I want to pursue anymore. It's just a love for ballet. Um, when I was younger, I wanted to be a dancer. Uh, and people, when I was younger, used to mistake, mistake me for a dancer uh, because I used to, the way I stood, the way I, I would stand. And, and, um, and so it was part of my youth. I carried that over, the fact that that had been uh-huh. a, a, a desire that had been frustrated, that hadn't been fulfilled, carried it over. But, but it wasn't my work in this life to become a ballet dancer. I was meant to do interfaith organizing and and writing which is a much uh, where I could where I could fulfill a much deeper part of myself and uh-huh. so ballet became just something I enjoyed I was able to work it through without having to go through that route of doing all it <laughs> takes to become a ballet dancer well yeah it's funny I've always wanted to play the piano I will find my fingers you know moving like on a keyboard on occasion and I know that in a past life I did play the piano. Don't know how well, but I I do know that that that, that was a part of a past life. If people are interested in trying to wake up the memories of past lives, would you suggest they do it through meditation? How would you know if I, I'm not saying go to a past life person. I'm saying how would how would a person try to explore their past lives without um, getting taken advantage of by someone? I mean, is it something you do through meditation? Does it just come to you? How do you, how do you experience the past lives as they come? You know, people ask, ask me that all the time, and I don't really have an answer uh, because I think it has to happen organically. I've had friends who have gone to past life regression and nothing has happened to them. Or I have uh-huh. friends who've gone to past life regression and have been told something, but it's not their own memory. If somebody tells you, "Oh, you were so and so," if you don't have any memory yeah. of it, what, what is that good? So somebody tells you you were so and so. So I think the memories have to awaken organically. For me, it's all through many, many years of meditation. It's not just a few years. It's a, a lot. I started meditating when I was twenty, so it's been a lifetime of meditation. Uh, and everybody's meditation experience is different. Some people see lights. Some people leave their body. For me, it's always been the awakening of memories. Uh-huh. And so, I, and so it's different for everyone. Uh, and I, and I don't think I think that there's a lot that you can um, know without having to go through. You know, in other words, I don't believe one should should force it if it's not happening organically. I think that there's a lot that you can know about your life just by reflection. You know, I mean, what's important to know? If you have a difficult relationship with someone, well, that's a, that's a, that's like a sign that that's something from the past that needs to be worked out. Uh-huh. You know, if if you're if you're struggling with your um, work situation, with your career, well, that can take some deeper reflection. What is your deepest desire? What is it you want to do? You know, if you're struggling with, I mean, the hardest thing, I think, is when people are struggling with health issues. And you say, well, what did I do in my past life that, that I'm having this? Well, 
I, I don't think it's that simple. You know, I think that, that um, these are physical bodies, and, and at some point or another we're all going to have health issues with, with the bodies. Um, and, and some people get it easy. I know, you know, my, my parents lived to be quite old. My father was 100. My mother was 96. N- not, not a day to day health problems. Their eating habits were horrible. They both drank a lot of liquor. And you just wonder, you know, they didn't eat organic, they ate things with pesticides, they ate a lot of meat. I mean, it's just, you, you wouldn't think that they would have such healthy lives. <laughs> uh, and everything went well for my mother, and she was a, a bit of a difficult woman. And, and I used to say to myself, she's having a vacation life where everything is just going her way. <laughs> she had a wonderful, devoted husband. She had a lot of money. She got whatever she wanted. It's like a vacation life. Well, who knows what the next time round will be? <laughs> you don't get every life oh, yeah. a vacation life, but every now and then we get a vacation life <laughs> where we don't have any major well, struggles. All... And then the next life there could be a lot of struggles. Well, I think that's only fair. Um, you know, the the spiritual process, the evolution of the spirit, the awakening of the of the oneness within, all of that stuff is very serious. But one of the most important parts of any lifetime, I believe, is the element of laughter as well. That that laughter and joy are are a part of what keeps us going. And in yeah, yeah, many yeah. ways, <clears throat> I mean, your books are are wonderful, and and they do they do bring in those moments of of wonder and peace when they when they come to that spiritual lake where where they can sit and just meditate on it and maybe see a, a goddess or not or whatever where there's beauty where there's there's joy i mean it it i mean there's a there's a lot of stuff that goes on in all of these lifetimes for all of these women or these parts of the women um but there also has to be joy and you do bring that in how there is a celebration with um when she took care of the the boy in the house beyond the woods and you know there were moments where there was just just wonderful effervescent joy that went on in her life that that could help to fuel or or help her through those hard struggles that that certainly do come well that that is absolutely true the the, the role of joy and i mean everybody has those moments everybody has something you know, I mean, maybe there's a rare exception, but most people do have somebody who brings joy into their life or something, you know. It could be from going to ballet, playing the piano, uh, you know, being with a child. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, things are balanced. We have a certain amount of struggle. And there's, there's nobody who, you know, I was talking about my mother, but she had a lot of internal struggles. Things, she was not a happy person. And so here you can have everything and still not be a happy person. Um, uh-huh. and, so, and, so, and yet there are people, as I showed in, in, in this book, when uh, she, the woman known as Devaki is born in India to a very poor family, how much joy those parents gave, gave, had because of their spiritual nature. And so uh-huh. I, I think one of the um, problems in our society is it's become – so consumer-based and materialistic that we judge everything based on how much we have, not on uh, who we are. 
you know, and everything is geared toward attaining, achieving, and not attaining, but acquiring. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, and so the whole, it's like the emphasis is on the wrong thing in our society in terms of what brings happiness. Well, that's true. That's very true. <clears throat> I know that, that um, people have become so materialistic that they, have, they, have, they haven't lost the spirit. The spirit's always there. It's going to take them to the next lifetime. You know, if they want to take off, being spiritual this lifetime, that's their choice. They can do that. But but it seems to me that that the more joy that that you real joy, not not pleasure, but joy, um, it, it lightens the load no matter what is coming your way. And I think I would I would like to think that that a lot of people read your books so that they understand that. That we're on a, uh, on a on a staircase, so to speak, and every lifetime is another step. And you know, it, it's hopeful that we gather wisdom of some sort um, before we take that next step. Um, it just, you know, there is no there is no expiration date on any of us, and you know, we're here mm-hmm. until we're not here. Actually, <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. Um, it's it's like it's like a you know, each lifetime we hope will bring us one step closer to, you know, realizing the, the nature of things and who we are and why we're here. And and um, we can make a lot of progress in one life or we can make a little progress in one life. We can get distracted and, you know, uh, uh, spend our time pursuing things that are not going to uh, give us ultimate happiness. Or we can take stock and... and uh, really have a life of inquiry and self-reflection. Well, I think that's one of the things that, um, <clears throat> to me, was so obvious that uh, the questions of who are you and why are you here and, you know, what is the purpose of this life? I mean, questions that clearly I'm not going to have answers to, but they're still questions I debate in my head because, there's a part of me that wants to understand the purpose of this lifetime. And again, uh, there is reflection, I guess, at the end, once you cross over. But up to that point, you don't have those answers. And, and they, they do they do kind of fester a little bit now and then. Um, you know, you know I think, why do... Why, I think I mean, one don't, of don't the... Don't you... I think one you of know, the... When you, one of, Go ahead. What was that? No, I was going to say, I think when you write your books, in some ways you're looking for an answer to the purpose of your being here in some ways. Yes. Yes. There's no question about that. That's, that's, it's become part of my spiritual practice. My writing has become part of my spiritual practice because for me, I, 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 um, I get to understand my life and I get to see why things are the way they are, uh, and I get to reflect on where I want to go and what future I want to create for myself. I think one of the evolutionary steps that humanity has to take is realizing that we're eternal beings, that, that we've had a long past and a long future, and that we're, we just keep going. 
uh, and that that will change our relationship with death, and uh, we'll begin we'll we'll see death as um, as, as 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 not as an ending but another step. And mm-hmm. uh, you know I have had many uh, experiences of that post death state, and it is a time where you really get to take stock of your life and see you know what what um, what you were able to achieve in terms of uh, bringing things to completion, what was left undone, you know. um, I mean, you know, the more reflective we are, the more we can attend to this while we're here. But, you know, they do, everybody who's had a a, a death experience, say you do see your life going before you. And you do, you know, when we're, when we're younger, we we do things that are not so conscious, right? We've all done things that we would do differently now when we were younger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we ended <laughs> oh, relationships yeah. maybe not in the most skillful way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but hopefully we learn from that, and we, we, we want to make amends for that. Well, it, it's, it's sort of like, you know, I, I'm going to be 80 my next birthday, so... You know, I'm I'm coming to the place where I mean I don't think I'm going to leave the planet anytime real soon, but but I know that eventually I will, and it's that's I guess why I I have been doing the, you know, so what is my purpose? Why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it of benefit? Do I learn from this? And and of course I learn with every author I I talk to you especially, and so that so that you know I am constantly learning and growing and trying to share the wisdom that I gather and putting it out there in a manner in which other people can either look at it or not but it's kind of sometimes it feels um purposeless you know you gather you gather this wisdom you gather this and and then you you go into another lifetime and and you have just remnants of everything you struggled for this lifetime and you can still access it and I and I wonder um you know certainly what where was I before this lifetime and what do I bring from that lifetime into this lifetime that greatly enriches me so that I can move forward and do some other good stuff so well, you bring um, you, you bring I, your, you bring your learning so your work now is in the spiritual realm. You do these spiritual podcasts and shows. Clearly that's uh-huh. something you brought with you. It's not the first time around oh, yeah. where you suddenly, yeah. So so that's been with you for a while. And I think those of us who are working in the spiritual field, it's a continuation of work that we've done in the past. And, uh-huh. you know, I think the world is moving into a more spiritually aware time. People talk about all the things that are not working in the world, but I look at all the things that are working and the fact that you can have these shows and that, that people, um, uh, you know, um, listen to them and that the fact that, that there's so much online that you can get, you know, med- practices, meditation practices, spiritual talks, there's so much available. That wasn't true oh, yeah. when I was growing up. You know, think about when we were younger. You know, oh my God! There was no internet. At, uh, yeah, when I started meditating at the age of twenty, uh, it, it was looked at by as a cult. I mean, you know, I had to hide the fact that I was a meditator. 
You know, I became uh-huh. a vegetarian when I was when I was 18, and and people thought I was sickly. You know, I mean, there was no proper vegetarian food, and so that the world has changed so much in our lifetime, and it's moving in a more spiritual direction. Even though, if you would just look at the news, you would not realize that. <laughs> you, well, you that's know, true, but they're not burning. They're not burning people at the stake anymore. Exactly. They're not burning people to stake it, you know. I mean, you know, and people have the freedom to pursue their own spiritual path. You know, how many people change their religions and, you know, I mean, you know, you can see that the affiliation with established religion is going down, but not spiritual people who think of themselves as spiritual. And, That's you know, true. and I think that, you know, uh, people are not gravitating toward doctrine they want personal experience you know they want uh-huh. to know for themselves why should i believe this guy standing at the front of the room who tells me this i want to know for myself and i think that's where that's where we're heading is people want personal experience of spiritual matters and so um uh, so i think next time around you know we we get we're born say later part of the 21st century there may be some environmental challenges, but I think that we'll be in a better position to address them because people will be more spiritually awake. We'll understand our interconnection with nature better. I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, that, that I, I see with young people, and I do a lot of work with young people, young people are turning to nature for their spiritual experience. You know, it's like they're realizing it's like the 11th hour what forests give them, what clean rivers give to them. And, you know, I think oh, yeah. it will be the next generations who will really uh, uh, step forward to preserve, you know, well, what, what, what better, we have. What better, place, what better place to look to, I mean, when you get right down to it, because originally, way back in the beginning, um, that's where the spirituality came from, whether it was yeah, looking at the stars. Yeah, yeah, I or or you know that that's where healing came from. That's where I mean that's that's where it all started. And yeah. Yeah, it it it's funny because um my sister is is was, well is a nurse practitioner and yet she goes back to the homeopathic remedies more so than anything else. And you huh. know what plants are good, and and it's it's. <laughs> I mean, she she once when she was visiting me said, "Let's go grazing," and I looked at her, and we walked out in, in my yard and around my yard and everything, and she was picking stuff up and everything, and had a bowl, and and I said, "Well, what's that?" She said, "That's a salad. All of it's edible and healthy for you." And yep, it's that's growing the truth. right in your lawn. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's how so, people used to live. It it took a lot of salad dressing to make it go down, however. Um <laughs> Well, I mean, there's a lot a, a lot of edible foods out there that we've lost the knowledge of. Uh and mm-hmm. as you said the the, the old medicines, uh, I you know, I think they're coming back. And so people are regaining uh, uh some of that lost knowledge. And Oh you yeah, know, I, and, I, and I think the healing properties of nature, uh, people are going to understand that much, much more in the future. 
You know, it's like well, you have so to many... lose something in order to oh, appreciate yeah. it. But but in a couple of different lifetimes, you you had you had the people going out in nature and getting plants and and herbs and things like that that would address well abortion but you know not that we'll forget that but but um but stomach problems and headaches and all sorts of things that that naturally will help your body to rebalance and and function better and there were plants it, everything it, and you know a lot of our modern pharmaceuticals use those mm-hmm. plants you know, I think that that um, the, the, a lot of the modern pharmaceuticals are based on the healing properties of certain plants. I mean, everything is in nature. Everything that we need for healthy lives is there in nature. It's only when mm-hmm. we distort nature and trample on nature that we get ourselves into trouble. Like, you know, I'm hearing now about all the dogs that are getting cancer. When I was younger, you didn't hear about dogs getting cancer. So, no, you, you know, you, you didn't, but but I've heard so many stories now of people dealing with dogs, their dogs having cancer. So it's clearly an environmental something, something in the dog food or, what you know, that that uh-huh. is now causing this. So I think that, that um, it's only when we, we so distort the natural way that all these, that, that the body can't deal with it. And we have well, all isn't there a, isn't there a, a a town or city in Russia, I think, where everybody there is over a hundred. Yeah, I think there's a place in Japan too. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, it's a combination of, I imagine, a lot of things. You know, diet, genetics, exercise. You know, the way they live, and um, you know, but I, I, I think I'm hopeful about the future. Uh-huh. And that's why I'm writing the book about the future. There's so much dystopian uh, uh, um, images that are being put out into the collective. Well, and, and with the cycle, thought has power. With the, thought, you know, where it's like we're going to manifest whatever we put out. That's what we're going to manifest. Well, with the cycles of the yugas, I mean, you know, you you you. The cycle is is continuous. It goes on and on and on. It, it there is a cycle to even the earth, um, as as far as and of course you know we're we're sort of invaders here. We're sort of like ants, and you know the the earth is is going to grow in spite of us, and will, and the the earth will be here a lot longer than we will, and that's right. It's it, it's it's amazing. It's been here millions of years. It's survived. It has survived us so far, and it will continue to. But but the more in tune we are with it, the more in tune we are with this human energy, um, and connecting to the heartbeat of the earth, uh, the health the healthier we become. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But you know, that's right. That that won't so, sell anything on on the internet. So it's a matter of people waking up to our connection to, you know, the earth is is a natural element, and and so are we to a degree, aside from the spiritual part of us, and and you know the the, the living in communion and in synchronicity with the earth, we will live longer ourselves. It's just that simple. 
it's, it's, it's as you said, it's all very simple. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's all sort of like we've 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 made life so complicated. Yeah, and I mean, you must feel that way. Sometimes I feel like I just can't cope with all these complicated ways of doing things now. Oh gosh, you know, yeah. where you different passwords for this and for that, and and it's just. <laughs> It just becomes so everything you try to do so complicated. Life used to be simple. It did, and you know, I, I think I can remember. I, I mean, I hate to say this, but I can remember when there were no computers, and I can remember when there was no television, and mm-hmm. the the sense of peace. I mean. I was born in 44. My sister was born in 47. It was 47 that my family got its first TV, and it only had one or two shows on it. And for yeah. the rest of the time, you know, you 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 communicated with the people around you. You read books. You did things in groups. You talked to people. And yeah. I'm at yeah, a place. Yeah. I'm at yeah. a, and, and I'm at a place now where if I want to talk to my grandchildren i have to message them of course me too and i message them they say can you talk now yeah well and and quite often you know you know they'll they'll type you back an emoji and you're supposed to understand what that means um (laughs) i can i can remember i can remember sunday dinners family dinners yeah um i and that is no more there there's when i think of the world that my grandmother lived in and the world that i live in it, it you wouldn't recognize it you really wouldn't it's a, and it's, it's a, well, i think there's i think that a lot of people because things are changing so rapidly and you know mm-hmm. we're we're according to the cycles we're in the early centuries of a new yuga the technology yeah. age and so a lot of technology, you know, is moving quickly. You know, it's like you, you can barely keep up. And a lot of people are disoriented by this. I think part of the polarization of the country is that people think things are changing too quickly. It's not the world I recognize. But but right. the point is that you can't go back. There is no going back. We're not going back to the 1950s. So the question is, how do we create the world we want as we move forward in this new age of technology? Yeah, I was checking out at the grocery store, and, and the lady at the checkout said, I can't wait till we get back to normal. And I looked at her, and I said, this is normal. That's We're right. Not going back. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going back to anything. This is normal. How do we make yeah. it a more comfortable normal is the question. I think well, that's, that, that's that the, I think that's the key is how do we make it a more comfortable normal, and um, you know it, it. And I think every generation feels this way. You know, uh-huh. I mean, our grandparents felt that way too. You know, uh, uh, when air travel came in, and suddenly, you know, they they were able to be someplace in a few hours where it would have taken days. And so I think every generation, but things are moving definitely more quickly now. I mean, we haven't even we haven't even begun with this age of AI, well, we have begun. Oh, I know. But in terms of where it's going to well, go? Well, when you know? my grandfather courted my grandmother, 
he had to call ahead to warn the town that he was coming in a car so the horses wouldn't be disturbed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a different world. And it, it was and and in many ways I think I think uh, a calmer more gentle time but but you know today it's it's you know how do you find the peace and tranquility that that you need and you know it's I, I'm lucky I'm retired so I can actually find peace and tranquility so long as there's no TV or radio or anything going on so but, but you know I think are, that that the fact that the spiritual practices and spiritual awareness is expanding so rapidly, I think, was a gift in order to help people deal with the changes that we're undergoing. It was a gift. It's a gift. Uh-huh. And so it's like if you want to find peace and tranquility, it's not going to be in a quiet house with nothing going on. It's going to be internally. You have to take yourself away and find it internally. You know, the, the, there are multiple ways available for people to find what works for them, what kind of practices uh-huh. work for them, what kind of prayer works for them. And, um, and, and that's the only way. And I think that the key in moving forward in order, you said, becoming more comfortable in this world that's changing so rapidly around us is through our spiritual life. That's where we're going to get the comfort. Well, I agree with you. I think that in... in and all of the people that I've interviewed, and I've interviewed, I want to say thousands, but I'll just say hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, um, the one feature that is there in, in every person that is, that is clearly on a spiritual journey is meditation. And yeah. finding, finding a way that you're comfortable with, that, that you can sink into and, and just... Um, gosh, what, what's the right word for it, and just be immersed in the quiet of spirit is, is a gift. And the, the more you tap into that gift, the more your life changes. It, it, you know, you're not going to put a white robe on, go to the mountaintop and wait for the mothership to come and get you. But, but you are going to have a more peaceful way of viewing everything within your reality which which brings health to you in in many different ways you know my my guru my spiritual teacher used to say that you have to learn to stand unshaken by the crash of breaking worlds now breaking Uh worlds could be the old world that we knew that was comfortable the, the normalcy well that's breaking down and now we have a new a new normal and yeah. you have to the only way to be comfortable with that is to find your anchor inside. And 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 that's why we're so fortunate to have these spiritual practices that give us just that. You know, everybody can find their anchor inside so that you don't get shaken by what's going on around, by the craziness that's going around. And and there is a lot of, you know, a lot of craziness. I mean, you know, uh People now have their own realities, you know. It's like we can't agree on anything. And, and you know, it's very easy to get disturbed and shaken by that. And, and, and we have to um, anchor ourselves in our spiritual practices. I think, yes, that absolutely. And then, and then honor anybody, everybody else's 
different anchors because they're, they're all going to be different because we're all at a different place on that staircase. Right. And, and, That's right. and there That's is right. no, there's, there's no higher or lower or better. It's, it's, it's almost like there's one huge staircase and everybody's at a different place. And maybe they have their own private stair. I don't know, but but it, it's kind of like, well, I think that's that's appropriate. Depending upon your past life experiences and what your spirit has been through and what your spirit feels you need to experience, it's going to be different, absolutely different from everybody else on the planet. That's so, right. That's right. That's right. It, it, it's it's you can't. It, this is a time and a place where you can't go to somebody who's who's done it and been there, and because if they've done it and been there, they aren't you, so it wasn't done your way, so it isn't the same place at all. Right. So it it it, it it's it's kind of like, well, I, I hear what you're saying and I see what you're doing and I honor that, but it's not my way. So, you know, it, it, it's it's just. Everybody has a their own personal way of tapping into spirit, and that's 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 the beauty of it. It's very individualistic, you know. There's there's um, because we all have such different histories and you know uh, different things that we're comfortable with, uh, a different language that we're comfortable with, and so what works for me won't work for somebody else. And and so I, I you know I mean for for um, you know, at the, I've been involved in the interfaith movement for 25 years, and I finally moved out of it saying, well, the work that needed to be done, I felt, was done. There's still people who find it useful and need to be there, but, you know, 25 years ago, people were not comfortable with the other, uh-huh. uh, and, and it, because there was no exposure. They didn't understand it, and it took, you know, a lot of learning and patience and you know, first I remember the word that they used was tolerance. I never liked the word tolerance. And it's like, was that the best we can do is tolerate each other? And then no. they moved to, to respect. Okay, that's a good word. And then mutual respect. And then I said, how about just appreciation? Can't we appreciate each other, <laughs> you know? Uh, and well, so, you know, I, you know <clears throat> in, in many ways, you know, it, it's for me it's honor. You know, I I'm on a spiritual journey. So are you, and and I honor the journey you're on. It's not mine, but I do honor the fact that you are actually on a journey. So, you know, I agree um, with you. I think that is the best um, the best way is 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 to, is to honor, you know, other people's paths. You know, and and um, and not to make a judgment. You know, I think I think. We're, we we in a society with so much judgment, and we need to move beyond judging other people. Well, it's 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 funny because sometimes you can look at what somebody's going through and not understand it, <clears throat> but if you honor it, when you come to a point in time when pieces of it fit into your into your process, you you don't have to apologize because you honored it when they were doing it for themselves, but you're doing it for a different reason. But it's the same process. So it, it's it's kind of unwise to criticize because someday you may be in that very same place and you don't want to have to say, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. Was I yeah. blind? You know? Yeah, I mean, but, you know, 
I, I think I think uh, realizing exactly that we that any of us could find ourselves, you know. So it's 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 um, it's honoring and having compassion and, and non-judging, you know, all these things. And I think that that we've made a lot of progress as a society, but there's still more work to be done. Oh my my goodness, your books thirty years ago. Um, I don't know that anybody would have read them, but today I'm sure they're being eaten up. Um, you know, you're absolutely right. Is when I published my first book, which was, I don't know, maybe seven years ago, uh, I, I really published it because a, f- a friend of mine, a writer friend, got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and she was very fearful, and she wanted to read what I was writing. I was writing it for myself, just to put together all the pieces of the puzzle to see what emerged, uh-huh. and she read it. And it helped her so much. She eventually passed on, and it helped her so much. And she said, Dina, you've got to publish this. So I showed it to a few of my spiritual friends who said, Dina, you can't use your name. You can't publish it under your name. Yeah. I said, they said, you know, you work in the interfaith world. People are going to think you're way out there. So I said, but it's my <laughs> life. How can I not publish it under my name? And so I, I went ahead. And uh, and then many people from the interfaith world called me and said, I read, I read your book, I have to talk to you, and I was very nervous. But they all said that it got them thinking, that they started researching, and this one of the Christian theologian I'd worked with said to me, it's irrefutable. There's so much research in this field now. that it's, and Now, I uh-huh. never looked at the research, because I wasn't looking to be convinced, but apparently there has been a lot of uh, psychological work looking at people with past life recall, uh, people who've uh-huh. gotten over phobias. There's a lot of uh, work in the field of psychology on this, and and so I thought to myself, well, you know, that's another s- step forward our society is taking, the merging of science and spirituality. That interests me a great deal because that's what young people are going to respond to. If if the oh, psychologists yeah. and psychologists affirm that, yes, these past life memories are real because it's irrefutable. Children are remembering certain things, and when it's checked out, it's accurate. That's when young people are going to understand it. They respond more to the scientific than to the belief system. Well, yeah, look at the the children in, I think it's India, that remember a past life in in a different village and and were eventually taken to that village. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little boy, I think, and he found his, his wife and his children. Yeah, 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 and, and and he told them where important papers were. He had died in a car accident or something, and he was he yeah. had to get them these important papers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there, there are there are there are many cases of that. <clears throat> Enough so that you have to acknowledge the fact that there's something to it. And exactly. So yeah, but and but I, and you're I, absolutely. I, so I felt the time was right for me to write these books because I think because of all these studies that are coming out and because so many people, and then I had a, a Catholic priest who I work with call me and said, I read your book. It doesn't conflict with my theology at all. And and so I, I realized that these are universal truths and it doesn't conflict with any theology, you know. People may, if people have, have a narrow interpretation of theology, they may have a problem. But for those uh-huh. who are broad enough, they'll see that there's no conflict. Well, you know, it's it's funny because 
you mentioned the law of cause and effect a lot. And yes. And when I designed my deck of cards, I had a whole section which were, you know, universal laws, and the law of cause and effect was there. And it made me wonder, where did they come from? I mean, if they're a universal law, where did they come from? I have no answer, so anything you say is great. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's a universal law, where did it come from? Yeah. I mean, well, also, <laughs> the idea that we came out of nothing? Yeah. I mean, an egg and a sperm can create a physical body, but it can't, it can't create a spirit. You oh, know? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, all the teachings say that the spirit is different from the physical body, from the physical form. The spirit enters oh, yeah. the physical form and then departs the spirit, the physical form. And so our bodies are not meant as, I laugh when I, all these billionaires are trying to live forever in their physical body. And I would I say to myself, why would they want to? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Much better to move on to a, high, or a higher realm. You know? I mean. Well, and by the time, well, by the time. By the time they have the money to pay for whatever, it, you know, people are saying, you do this and you'll be able to live forever. Their body is so old. Why would you want to? You know, exactly. you'd want a new body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel to myself, I'm, you know, I said, I'm almost ready for a new body, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> right? But, but, it, but, it, but it's just, you know, I mean, there, there are places where there is no answer. There is, and yet... The search for that answer is the journey you're on. So I guess if you well, have the answers, there's the no journey. purpose to the journey. You know, there's there's um, the story in the book uh, uh, of the Kashmiri. It's it's the, the last part of the book where the young Indian woman uh, is listening to her teacher tell the story, and she says that um, she was with her teacher. The teacher turned to her and said, who are you? And she thought, well, her teacher didn't remember who she was, so she tells her name, this is who I am. And no, no, she says. And then she tells her where she came from, her family background, no, no, no. And she starts describing all the things about herself. teacher sends her off to a hut and says, don't come out until you find out who you are. And in that hut, she remembers all her past births, and she was this one and that one. Finally, a teacher comes and says, okay, you can come out now. And she said, but I haven't discovered who I am. And she said, "But you're on the you've started the process. You're on the journey, yeah. And that's enough. And I, I think it's asking the questions that's so is so important. The answers may take us lifetimes to find, but at least we've started to ask the questions. And and that's why the book, you know, is in search of self. In this life, in that particular life, she starts to ask the questions about who she is. Uh huh." And and it, it's to me, um, I, I just I, I just love the journey she was on. How how when she went to Kashmir, she was she wanted to visit a shrine that was no longer there, but but she did stand there and look, and it suddenly yeah. became there for her. She saw it in the subtle world, right? 
Yeah. Uh, she swore. It was a, a grand temple that had been destroyed. And uh, and if you read another book, which is called Lakmini and the Turning of Time, in an earlier incarnation, she was in a male body, and she had been part of constructing that temple. And and uh-huh. so naturally she was drawn to the place many centuries later where the temple had stood, but it was now destroyed. Uh, but she has a vision where she sees it as it was in its heyday. And uh, that was a very important moment for her uh, to realize that, the, you know, it's part of her seeing the destruction of so much of the culture. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. don't you think it, in some ways, too, the um, f- the fact that nothing in the physical is really gone, it's there in your memory, and as long as it's there in your memory, it's preserved in time. That's, that's absolutely true. Nothing is gone. As a matter of fact, in my the book I'm writing now... And, and, I, and, and many of the books have elements of this, a reflection on future, past, present. Is it all the eternal now? I mean, is future uh-huh. happening now? Because when I write about the past, I'm living in that past life. I'm actually going back in time. It's a form of time travel and reliving that whole experience. Uh, uh, and we can do the same thing in the future. We can project ourselves in the future and have an experience because it's 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 all happening now, in the ultimate sense. Yeah, it's hard for the mind to get a, to really grasp this. <laughs> Our mind thinks in terms of in lineal terms, but that's just a creation of the mind. It's all just the mind has a way of ordering things. This took place in the past. This can take place in the future. But that's all just a creation, an artificial creation of the mind. It's, it's the mind is an amazing thing. I mean, so so the mind can 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 project something, but in order for it to project something, it has to have the image that has been projected by the spirit to the mind right. to project it. Right. It comes from the spirit into the mind, and then the mind can project it out. Which is why I say. We are creating our individual future and our collective future. And so, uh-huh. you know, and thoughts, are, thoughts have power. People don't realize how powerful thought is. And, oh, my goodness. You know, I, and I tell people power. all the oh, – I tell people all the time, you, you create your reality by your projection of it. That's right. And – yeah. And if, if you don't like what you're seeing, you can change it. You have the power to change it. Only thing That's is, right. you have to work at it. And, That's right. And totally it, right. Yeah. So it's 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 for me phenomenal. You know, I see I see things a lot differently than my friends see them, because I prefer to see them in a different way. So. Um, it, it's it's all everybody does it, and they you don't know, realize you can look, it. And you, you can look you can look at a glass and say, "Oh my God, that glass is half empty," or you can look at the glass and say, "Oh my God, that glass is half full." Yeah, you know it. it it's perspective. You know you you can see it through through uh, uh, 
a negative frame, or you can see it through a positive frame. I mean, and I think I think that our our um, we have to train our nature to think positive. You know, all that uh-huh. stuff that's been out there about positive, the power of positive thinking. Well, that's all true. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know and and, and, and uh, <clears throat> I have a friend, a I know spiritual I've... friend, who said to me, "I won't be in the I won't be in the company of people who who have negative." Think negatively, because uh-huh. it's it's like casting a shadow, and and uh, it's true. One has to be so uh, mindful of that because there's so much negative energy and so much negative thinking around that that you have to protect yourself in a way uh, from getting sucked into that to that negative way of thinking. Oh, absolutely. I have a I have a friend I was working with. Um, on the computer and it was over the phone so it was it was difficult and and he said you know he said to me you know i i i'm so sorry to be trying your patience to this degree and i said no no i welcome being challenged with patience because it lets me know where i need to work more and you know he he just said you look at everything positively, and I, you know, and and yeah, it's much it's much more fun. <laughs> I mean, um, it it makes life so so much better when you can put that positive, you know, spin to it. And I mean, there there are times that are sad, and and those you you experience the sadness. You know, you can't celebrate some some of the sad things that do happen. But but the reality is, usually the outcome has a positive spin to it if if you wait long enough and you look long enough and hard enough for the positive um it's there i mean many parents who have lost children have turned that experience around and created organizations that help thousands of people because of what they went through so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. exactly exactly they've 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 taken that experience and Try to bring benefit to other people as a result of this, this their sorrow, uh, and and yeah, that, that's an admirable, a very admirable thing when you see that. And and you know, your books, you know, are such a testimony to finding the positive in situations, and <clears throat> no matter how poverty stricken they were, um, when when the book starts. Um, there was joy there, and and their parents didn't feel that they were deprived. They they felt fulfilled and happy and content. And well, you that's, know that's, that's not that's part of the beauty of that story is uh, India used to be a society. It's changed, but it used to be a society that wasn't a consumer society, and that uh-huh. uh, 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 joy was found. In community, in family, in in worship, and and I think that was true of many places, you know, where we weren't all chasing after more, 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 more. Now, something happened. I mean, now India is like it's become a global phenomenon where, you know, the, the goal of success is how much you have, not who you are, yeah. what you are, whether you're happy. Uh, but you know, I I've done some work with the country Bhutan which they developed the the national happiness index instead of gn you know the gross national product judging their well-being based on how happy people are 
you know, and I think that well, there'll come a point when we realize, you know, a lot of these advanced societies, you see it in, in Korea and Japan, the young people are so stressed to achieve that they, a lot of them are committing suicide. Yeah. So what are we doing to <laughs> the young people? What kind of message well, are we that giving is frightening. to them? Yeah, yeah that, that, that is frightening. And I'm not saying that we should have religion in schools, but but I am saying that there should be a spiritual belief in the home. Because a if you have that spiritual belief... In the belief home, and there could be there could be things you know I know my, I sent my oldest son to a Waldorf Waldorf uh, Rudolf Steiner school, and you know every day they used to thank the sun, and thank the earth, you know, and it, it wasn't a, a religious thing, but it was a spiritual thing of acknowledging we wouldn't live without the sun, or all yeah. the, that the earth gives us, and it just connect helping these young people connect to nature, and so I think. Rather than preaching a specific religion, general spiritual principles of gratitude toward nature, gratitude, appreciation of each other, you know, character building. Uh, and that's what the schools are lacking. It shouldn't just be job preparation. It should be character building. How do you deal with life challenges? Well, Teaching generosity well, I, and sharing. I agree with you. Um, I know that, that, that in your book, Nature Place, in, in all of your books, nature plays such such an important part in in everything. I mean, there are spirits in the lakes, there are spirits in the streams, there are spirits in rocks. Um, yes. You know, there are there are spirits everywhere, and and acknowledging them, and and you know, not necessarily setting them up as a shrine. But but understanding that there is an energetic there, there's a the creation is there, and honoring that creation is 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 a good idea. Um, you know, all of the so, old cultures lived lived with that consciousness. All the old cultures uh-huh. around the world lived with that with that consciousness of gratitude toward nature and acknowledging the energy in the in the different forms of nature. And at the time of Tibet that I write about, when Buddhism was really growing, and Buddhism was more about the mind, you know, uh, uh, dealing with the mind. And the indigenous religion of Tibet, which was called Bon, was more the nature spirits. And there was a bit of a tension. And this main character goes through that tension of what is she? Is she a worshiper of the of the Bon tradition or of Buddhism? Her mother is a, a from the Bon tradition. The father is a Buddhist. And uh, she resolves it at the end of her life. But for much of her life, she she, she struggles with this. Uh, and Tibet was going through a lot of change at that time because of the tension of the old versus the newer religion that was coming in. Well, didn't and many she, parts didn't of the world. She declared, you know, when she remembers she her life. She she was, yeah, didn't uh, she, she declare was a, she was both? She, at the end, she declares that she's both. And and actually, Tibetan Buddhism incorporates a lot of that ancient tradition. It really should be called Bon Buddhism, because it's like a merger of these two traditions. Uh, and, and in her previous birth in medieval France, she again had that struggle between the Druid life, which where there was a worship of the nature, nature the forest, and Christianity, which was, which was a, a newer religion coming in to dominate Europe. 
And so I think that, that for many centuries there was this tension in societies between these older traditions, uh, which had gotten corrupted in many ways and needed to be reformed, and uh, the, the newer tradition, newer religions that were beginning to dominate. And so some, some merger had to take place. You know, I think well, in, it's, in it's, Europe there, there were pockets of Druids, Druids much later than people realized. Oh, yeah, they, they, I mean, it is said that the Druids started to fade from um, the the framework uh, when, when the Romans came in and they had writing, so the Druids, you know, didn't write. None of their stuff is recorded. But right. The real the reality is, I think it's still alive today. But but again, it's it's almost labeled a religion, and it's not a religion. It's a respectful um, it's a way of life honoring, in a way of living. Yeah. Yes, it's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a way, you know, it's, it's a way of looking at the world, really. My my way of looking at religions is that you have to be taught a religion, but you are spiritual. That's so right. it it yeah, and and it, it doesn't mean one is better than the other. It just means that that's the way I see it. But but the your book stresses the connection to to nature so beautifully that um, you flow with it. And and again. It's you, you don't want somebody to to end their life and go into the next one because you're having so such a good time, and so familiar <laughs> with the characters that you know oh she can't she can't stop this we got to see what happened with you know these people and stuff it it's it, it's very frustrating. Um, yeah, I know, yet, I know. That, you have to move on. You know, and yet you get sucked into the new life real fast, but. But it's it's kind of like okay, where are we? You know, how many centuries have changed here and stuff like that. But it it it, uh, it definitely is is a journey that I have enjoyed going through. Um, I think your second book was um, difficult for me to understand at first. That that you know these were what become the gods or, or those people that are worshipped. I figured it out finally. But yeah. but you know, but again, it, it's the same thing. You know, being a servant and then being somebody who was not a servant, and I mean, it just you are so. I, I guess the thing to say is you have such a vivid recollection of these lifetimes that you create the movie of them in a person's consciousness, so that they are there with you, and it. Reading your books is an experience that is just a pleasure. I experience them like and, a movie, you know, and that's and that's. I try to write. I try to be faithful to what I see in here because I I feel like I I'm in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know which part I'm playing, <laughs> and um, and I I try to make them you know as real as possible so that people can get into the movie and partake in it. And something hopefully will get triggered in them through that experience. That's my goal. Well, I, I can only personally speak from it, but I have enjoyed traveling through all four of your books. 
Okay, and there's more to come. Oh well, I'm I'm delighted with that, and and I didn't even mind that it it went 700 pages. Um, <laughs> I know this is the longest book that I've written. Um, that's the longest book that I've but, written. But it didn't feel like it. Um, it didn't it didn't feel like it at all, and and as with all of your books, you know, when I got to the end, it was like. Oh darn! You know, <laughs> I want to keep going. And of course, you yeah. have a never-ending series of—you you have a never-ending series of lifetimes that you can draw from. Um, but you know that you have—you have from time to time hit Europe a couple times, and and, and the United States. In the first book, um, there was there was a past life with uh, in the Deep South. But yeah, I'm fascinated okay. if, if you if you think of course you don't know until you get there but do you think that you know you'll continue with with china and tibet and india or do you think that you think that's an area that you're going to continue in or do you think that you'll you know fluctuate to other parts of the world my next birth will be in america but the birth after that will be in india wow yeah, but what it will be a different exciting... world. It will travel through through the world will be much much easier. So where you where you're, it's less relevant where you're born <laughs> because you can be in many different places. I mean, we're, we're the, the globe is getting smaller and smaller. Well, yeah, that's true. But you know, I think too. Um, what what I'm what I'm sensing is that that. Um, it feels as though the first book came in spurts. It feels yeah. like this one was more of a flow. Exactly true. The first one came over a period of time, and there were things in my life that sort of awakened a certain memory. And then I would go on with my life, and somebody else would enter, and that would have, that would spark another memory. So it, it it was over several years. This book came in a in a in a constant flow, and of course. You know, COVID changed a lot of things because I was more secluded. And yeah. so for the last few years, I've just been been home, really. I mean, Global Peace Initiative does online programs, and we started occasionally doing a small in-person thing here and there. But before COVID, I was, I was traveling the world, organizing events, and then we uh-huh. stopped, and everything is on Zoom. And so I was able to spend much more time inside, you know, in my books, actually. Uh-huh. And so the whole Tibet story came over a period of a year of constant writing, and and I'm, mostly I was home. Uh, and it was sparked by my relationship with my grandson, which I talk about at the beginning of the book. Uh-huh. He, he had very vivid memories of his past birth when he was very young. And he spoke to me about it very openly. He didn't speak to his parents about it. And, of course, now he's 15, and he doesn't talk about it at all anymore. But when he was four, five, six, seven, eight, he was talking about it a lot. Wow! Did you and, record it, yeah. or, or somehow? I did. I didn't record it. I did write it down. I, I didn't record him, but I did recount many of the stories. I I left a lot out of the book because I didn't want to embarrass him. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. But there were so many stories that he would tell tell me, um, and I did. I have 
written them down so that when he gets older, he'll see. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I do believe he was my son in that in that Tibet life. Oh yeah, probably. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I you mean, can't that, have when when you begin to recognize these familial things, you know, they're very easy to to spot. I mean, I said to him the other day. I mean, we continue to talk about about things, and I said to him the day the other day, you know, I'm your grandmother, but I'm also your your longtime spiritual friend, and we've been spiritual friends for a long time. Ah, uh-huh. uh, and it, it's he acknowledge, he acknowledges it. I mean, we have this you know this relationship because he doesn't talk to his parents about these things, but his parents know that he has a special relationship with me. And, you know, it's, um, and I realize that I have to let him now pursue his own, find his own work in this life. Uh-huh. You know, he can't live in the past. He's got to, he's got to focus on his current life. Uh, and so it's, so it's, so it's interesting. And I have to, you know, I have a deep attachment to him, which I'm trying to work on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 there's a reason that he's there and probably will play a bigger part later on. But I just I just recognize the time and we are out of it. Um, oh my and we goodness, didn't get half so of the, I know I and I didn't get the half of what I wanted to talk about. But um, maybe we'll have to do this again and just go a little further into some of these areas because there's sure. so much material here that is so beautiful. But I want to I want to thank you so much again. This has been a joy. Thank you, Barbara. It's always wonderful talking to you. And we'll, we'll talk I, I again will. soon. Absolutely. Take care now. And thank Take you, care. everybody, for listening and for being with us. And, and please read her books because the journey through them is an experience that you will never forget and be grateful for because it will open doors you don't even know are there. So good night, everybody. Have a great rest of the week and I'll talk to you oh wait tomorrow night Mark already has a show and I'll be back next Monday good night now